You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture is a story about the disciple Peter and a man named Cornelius. It's found in the book of Acts, which you know details the story of the birth of the church. It begins with Pentecost, and then um, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. They go out into the world, and they build the church. Now, in the book of Galatians, we learn that Paul and Peter have a falling out. You see, Peter wants to convert the Jews uh, to Christianity, and not the Gentiles the Gentiles being non-Jewish people. And Paul wants to convert everyone. And so he wants to do that because there are so many people who are more and more interested, but Peter has this kind of tunnel vision. And so part of Acts tells of Peter's struggle to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Now the section beginning in chapter 9 when Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner and Joppa after resurrecting Tabitha, who's also known as Dorcas, uh, God brings Cornelius into Peter's life. Now, Cornelius is a centurion. He is Roman. He is not Jewish. And he is uh, first of Roman, uh, he's the first Roman of authority in the book of Acts who is named. He's a centurion in the Italian regime, a soldier. He's devout. He's God-fearing. He's generous to those in need. And Luke emphasizes his character quite a bit over his role in authority. And so he prayed to God and had a vision one afternoon. Now, throughout the book of Acts, there are several visions that people have, which is a missionary function of locating a person in the right place uh, that gets used throughout the the scripture um, so that they're in the right place to receive God's benediction. So an angel tells Cornelius to get his servants to go to Joppa and find a man there named Simon called Peter and bring him back. And we see throughout Acts that when one is obedient to God's wishes, it is clear that they are ready to receive God's grace. And so ever the soldier responding to orders, Cornelius gets together two servants and a devout soldier, an attendant, who make the journey to Joppa. Now, at the same time, Peter is up on a roof and he's praying and he's hungry and he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now this is a big deal because in the law, in the Jewish law, Those are not animals you can eat. They are considered unclean. And so Peter protests, and he says, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice replied, Do not call anything impure 
that God has made clean. Now this happened three times, and it parallels the story of Jonah, who was called to take the word of God from Joppa to the Gentile Nineveh. Peter is commissioned by God to carry the gospel from Joppa to the home of the Gentile Cornelius. He doesn't know what it all means, but when Cornelius's aides show up, the Spirit tells Peter to go with them. The aides explain that uh, Cornelius is a God-fearing man who sent them to bring Peter back to him, and so he goes to see Cornelius, and that's where our scripture picks up. And a spoiler, Cornelius ends up being the first uncircumcised or Gentile admitted into the faith because of Peter. The scripture reading is from Acts chapter 10, verses 24 to 28. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Now, you may know that throughout our uh, It Takes a Village sermon series, we are highlighting our core values, and today we highlight the core value of inclusion. And to begin this sermon, I wonder if any of you have seen the wedding, my big, f or seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Okay, it's probably my all-time favorite comedy. Um, and I found this hard to believe, but the internet is never wrong. It's actually 20 years old now. now. If you've seen the movie, you'll remember, and if you haven't, it's about a woman named Tula who is Greek, very Greek. And she comes from a family who is very Greek. They own a Greek restaurant. They have a home that is filled with both inside and out Greek art, Greek statues. They are Greek Orthodox. And Tula has lived in this Greek world and been pretty sheltered. She has been expected to marry a Greek man, and so at this point she has not gone on past high school to do any further education. And she's supposed to have Greek babies and be a Greek mom. But while that's something Tula wants, she wants something more as well. And so she begins to change her appearance. She signs up for some classes in technology, goes to school, learns a new trade, and starts to become more American. And in the process of doing this, she meets a man named Ian, who is not Greek at all. 
And she begins to date him, at first behind his parents' back. His parents continue to try to, her parents continue to try to set her up with uh, Greek men, often much older than she is. And finally, they meet Ian. And they are not happy. They are pretty upset. Because Ian, as I said, is as far away from Greek as you can get. And that makes him not acceptable. He is not one of them. He doesn't know their culture. He doesn't know who they are. And he didn't even ask permission to date Tula. And so they have a real difficult time struggling to embrace him and his family. And they struggle with Tula's desire to go her own way, to carve her own path. And it takes a long time, especially for the father, to come around because Ian is just too different. He is not like them. And so it takes a while. But finally, over the course of the movie, they see how much he loves their daughter and come around. And of course, it ends with the big fat Greek wedding. And uh, here um, is where we take up at the reception. Here's Tula's father. Welcome to the Portocalos family. And uh, oh, um, welcome the, the Miller family. Uh, I, I was thinking uh, last night, uh, the night before my, my daughter going to marry uh, Ian Miller, that, um, you know, the root of the word Miller is a Greek word. And, uh, and Miller comes from the Greek word Milo, which is mean apple. So there you go. <laughs> As many of you know, our name Portokalos has come from the Greek word Portokali, which means orange. So, okay, uh, here tonight we have uh, apple and orange. Uh, we're all uh, different, but uh, in the end, uh, we all fruit. <laughs> In the end, we're all fruit. This is a lesson that Peter needed to learn. He was building the church, he was spreading the gospel, and he was only converting Jews to Christianity. Now, Jesus didn't come for the Gentiles. He thought they're not Jewish. People who didn't follow the Jewish law, how would they know who was clean and who was unclean? They were unclean themselves. You can't blame him. It was how he grew up, what he was taught, what his family believed, and how he lived out his faith and religious life. It was part of his culture. All of it supported the Jewish way. But in the spreading of the gospel, he kept running into the hurdle. Paul was sharing the good news with the Gentiles, and they seemed to be hungry to learn. And so Peter wrestled, and then he had the dream. Cornelius not Jewish. He sends his aides to see Peter, and Peter hears the message, don't call what I have made profane. Peter comes to understand 
that the Gentiles are loved by God too. The gospel can't just be open to those who are like him. Now imagine what would have happened had Peter not welcomed Cornelius and, and his aides and not gone to Cornelius' home. What might it have taken for Peter to finally realize that he wasn't following God's will? How many Gentiles might have been rejected and then went on to resent Christianity? You have to wonder if Peter hadn't opened his heart, would the church have grown to be what it is today? Would the church have grown at all? One of the things that I love the most about the United Methodist Church is the communion table. It's the open table. Everyone is welcome. You don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to um, pass a test. You don't even have to be baptized. You can be a child. You can be an adult. You can... Um, be anything. We have juice so that if you are a, a child, you can partake. If you're an alcoholic, you can partake. And it's pretty wonderful. It's pretty wonderful that all we say is, if you want a relationship with Jesus, come on forward, because it's not my table or the church's table, it's Jesus' table, and all are welcome. Now, over the years, people have asked me about children taking communion, and they're concerned that, do children really understand what they're doing when they come forward to take communion? Kids just don't maybe understand that. My reply is, who does fully understand it? It's a mystery, right? We call it a holy mystery. It's a gift from God that the Holy Spirit works in. Child may not understand that, but a child does understand rejection. They do understand the message of you are not welcome here. You can't do that. Tony Campolo tells a story about a boy who was new to the church, and um, it was his first time in a Christmas pageant. And he was given the role of the innkeeper and had to say the line, there's no room. Well, the couple playing Mary and Joseph come up, and the boy says the line, and the couple begs, and you know, please, is there anywhere that we can go? Please, don't you have room? And the boy falters, and the, the adults in the wings are prompting him to say his line, there's no room. And the boy says, no, they can come and stay with me. Children understand rejection. We have to be taught to exclude. Peter was taught to exclude. And God used a dream and Cornelius, and he opened his eyes. Jesus calls us to be an inclusive church. Jesus invites everyone. And Jesus' life began with rejection. He was homeless traveling to a different land because of a government's rules, received rejection after rejection, and then was allowed to stay in the barn out back. He and his family were then refugees as they went to escape a ruler who was a tyrant. And he grew into a man who faced rejection, who lived a ministry that was open to all. He met people where they were at. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector, 
who everyone hated and had to go up into the tree because he was short, but also to get away from the people in order to see Jesus. And Jesus said, come on down, I'm going to your house. We'll eat a meal together. There was the woman at the well. Jesus sat down with a woman at a well, and she gave him water, and she was not Jewish. There was the soldier, the Roman soldier, who sought healing for his daughter. There was the hemorrhaging woman who had been banished from the rest of the community because she was bleeding continuously. And she walked up to Jesus and he healed her. And of course he said, let the children come to me. And he loved them, all of them. And he didn't let others cut them down. And yet his ministry of love was rejected. He was taunted. He was sentenced to death. He was put to death. And now we baptize children in his name. We baptize them with a promise that they will always be loved. The world might reject them, but God never will. If we are to be Christ's body in the world, then isn't the implication that we too will not reject God's people We are called to love all people, to welcome them. We have an inclusion statement as Clarkston United Methodist Church that says that we welcome all persons to our church without regard to age or race or gender or ethnic or cultural background or national origin or economic condition or marital status or sexual orientation or political affiliation or any other means that people use to categorize God's people. We have identified inclusion as a core value because we are a church who loves and values everyone. We have intergenerational relationships and a people with a variety of backgrounds, a diversity of people who reflect the breath of God's love and grace. We are all created in God's image, and each one of us has something to share, gifts that make the church who we are. And we all grow because of the community that develops. We see difference. It's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing when we define people by the categories and use them to separate them into without recognizing the value that difference brings. We value diversity because then we learn from each other. We celebrate each other. We grow together for we are all created in God's image. And in the end, we're all fruit. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.